0: There's a lot of wealth and power, and people tend to exploit those things when they have them.
1: Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Ankle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. This week, the former Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein has been sitting in a New York courthouse as one after another, his accusers step forward to provide powerful testimony about their predation at his hands. The trial is the stunning denouement of the Weinstein saga, which gave rise to the Me Too movement and set in motion an urgent national conversation about sexual harassment and assault. But another saga of a different infamous sexual predator has also continued to unfold this week though it concerns a man whose victims will never have the chance to confront him in court. We are, of course, talking about Jeffrey Epstein. There is much that remains mysterious about Epstein, a self-described billionaire who supposedly managed money for some of the world's most powerful men, who apparently had shadowy connections to the world of espionage, and who was found dead under highly mysterious circumstances in his jail cell while awaiting trial on charges of sex trafficking. What is very well known, however, is that Epstein spent much of his time devising elaborate methods to surround himself with underage girls for criminal sexual purposes. One of his most vocal accusers to come forward is Maria Farmer, who happens to be an artist. And what she has said about her experience with Epstein reveals the shocking extent to which he used the art world as one of his favorite hunting grounds to procure new victims. This week, Artnet News Deputy Editor Rachel Corbett published an exclusive interview with Farmer that casts fresh light on Epstein's insidious infiltration of one of New York City's top art schools. It's a pleasure to have her on the show today. Thank you very much for coming on The Art Ankle, Rachel.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So who is Maria Farmer?
0: Maria Farmer is an artist who met Jeffrey Epstein, initially when she was a graduate student at the New York Academy of Art in 1995, Mm. she was having her thesis show there. She was 25 at the time. And she says she was introduced to this man who was looking to buy the work of emerging artists. Mm. And she was told that he was also a trustee of the academy and she should give him a good deal. So she sold him one of her paintings for $6,000, she says. The painting that she sold to Epstein happens to be one of a young woman on a sofa. And then in the foreground, there's the back of a shirtless man. Hmm. And so in hindsight, it, it takes on especially creepy tenor when you know that Epstein bought it. And Maria Farmer says that she modeled it after a Degas painting that's widely known as The Rape, which takes a similar subject matter. So anyway, she says she sold this painting to him and although she wasn't really happy about having to sell it for half price, she knew he was a very important figure and that he would, he told her, get her connections to other collectors in the art world and that he knew a lot of people.
1: You mentioned that Epstein was a trustee at the New York Academy of Art. How did he get to be involved with this institution?
0: So he was a good friend of a man called Stuart Pivar who co-founded the Academy with Andy Warhol. And that's how Epstein was introduced to it. And he was a, a trustee there from 1987 to 1994. And in this time, he often went to their events, bought artworks by students at their various you know, fundraisers. Hmm. And Stuart Pivar has gone on to say that this was in fact his very best friend. And although he didn't know about the extent of his predations, he thought he was really interested in the tradition of figurative art and really admired the Hmm. school's classical training program.
1: And for people who don't know, the New York Academy of Art really specializes in very old-fashioned, realistic portraiture, kind of like what you would see in the 1800s in Paris. If I recall, Stuart Pivar, in one of his interviews, actually said that Epstein's primary reason for hanging around the school was to meet young girls. Do you think that that rings true?
0: Well, it's possible. He certainly met Maria there, and he met other students He bought many young women's art. I think also it may have had to do with the fact that this was a place where certain taboos didn't exist Mm -hmm. because there was nudity in art. I think he liked environments where a certain air of transgression was allowed. Huh.
1: So... What do we know about Epstein's taste in art?
0: Well, it was uh, very eccentric. He liked all kinds of very unsettling things. He he liked to buy fake art, we've Hmm. heard, because it made him feel like he was in on a joke in order to have things that other people would buy as real, but he knew wasn't. He had a mannequin hanging from a chandelier. He had a big painting of Bill Clinton wearing a blue dress, which was painted by another New York Academy student. And he had a chessboard where all the figurines were wearing their underwear and they were modeled after his own staff. Uh, he had a painting of himself uh, behind bars, supposedly as a reminder of where he could end up if he wasn't careful.
1: Yikes. So, for a young artist like Maria Farmer, who's still in art school, to meet somebody like Jeffrey Epstein, who's presented as this really kind of wealthy patron, must have been a huge break for her. What happened after that?
0: They stayed in touch and Maria was, from what I understand, considered a very talented painter at the school. Her colleagues there have said she was really one of the top students and she was selected with a few other students to go on a trip to the Santa Fe Art Institute and take a special sort of master class with Eric Fischel, the painter And one of the students has told me that Epstein paid for this trip. I haven't been able to confirm that. The school says they have no records of that. But he did, in fact, host the students at his house, which is this now infamous Zorro Ranch, which is um, outside of Santa Fe. It's 10,000 acres in the middle of the desert, basically. And he was at the time building his large mansion on the property, but he was living there in the kind of double-wide trailer for now while he was building the house. And he invited the students out there for a day.
1: Now, I mean, this this ranch has become infamous because that is where Epstein was revealed to have tried to create some kind of baby ranch where he would impregnate young mothers who propagate all of these baby Jeffrey Epsteins as this weird eugenics experiment. And it was also one of more than a few of these pleasure palaces that he had constructed around the world. One of them was in uh, the Caribbean island of Little St. James. What happened at these kinds of houses?
0: Well, we we now know that women have said that this is where he would basically hold them hostage and bring them and, and create these sort of harems of women and girls at these houses. In New Mexico, he's thought to have trafficked many women. And like you said, he wanted to have... 20 at all times impregnated, according to some reports, because he was fascinated with this, you know, transhumanist idea of uh, seeding the human race. Was this something he
1: wanted to do or is it something he actually did?
0: There's no indication that he did do it. He definitely wanted to do it. He told lots of people about this over the
1: years. And what happened on this trip?
0: So I spoke to three different students who were on the trip and they have sort of slightly different memories, but they all agree on the fact that they went out there with Eileen Guggenheim, who was at the time the Dean of Students at the New York Academy of Art. Now she's the chair of the board there. And she knew Jeffrey Epstein and brought the students out there, they say, on this trip. And immediately they found it unsettling. When they got to the ranch, Epstein had told them that he was going to buy the work of one of the artists at the end of their trip. So it was almost set up like kind of a competition. One of these students would be selected as sort of his favorite and he would buy the work that they produced at the Santa Fe Art Institute. And also he would commission that artist to paint a mural on the mansion he was building once it was completed. So there was a sense that this was a really lucrative opportunity and in a way they were encouraged them to ingratiate themselves to Mm -hmm. Epstein.
1: Like a reality show of some kind.
0: Yeah they said that Epstein, he kept kind of just saying things that made them uncomfortable, just subtle things to sort of, they felt, keep them on their toes or never quite relax. Hmm. He pointed out that, that there were rattlesnakes everywhere and they should be careful. And then at one point, his... Girlfriend, or we don't quite know what her role is, but Ghislaine Maxwell mm-hmm. rode up on a white horse and she was wearing tweed and Maria Farmer describes her as looking like a Ralph Lauren ad. She had this British accent and they all thought she was fabulous. And she told them to put their coats in a closet and they opened the door and there's a skeleton hanging in there. And just throughout the day, various... Literally
1: a skeleton in his closet.
0: Exactly. So throughout the day, these these sort of disturbing little things happen, and then they have dinner, and at one point, Epstein and Maxwell pass around this bag, and they tell everyone to close their eyes and to reach their hands inside this bag and just to feel what's inside and try to guess what they were feeling. And they felt something squishy that felt like, you know, silicone. And it turns out that they were false breast inserts you put in your bra, falsies. And afterwards, when they opened their eyes, supposedly Maxwell demanded that they all, all the girls put them on and show them off. And And one of one of the women I spoke to said so she refused to do this and felt immediately shunned by Maxwell and Epstein. Uh, she said that she just knew, she could tell that she was no longer under consideration for this commission.
1: So this thing sounds like it is part of a pattern of Epstein creating these situations that push people beyond their comfort zone, that kind of make things that are a little bit sexual, a little bit risque, normalized. That was one of um, Ghislaine's key roles. You know, this seems like it unsettled Maria, yet it didn't stop her relationship with Epstein. In fact, it was just the beginning. So what happened after they returned to New York and started getting on with her career.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, she's often said that things that she would have thought were too creepy from just a man alone were normalized by Ghislaine. Every time she would think, this isn't okay, I can't continue to see this guy, she would think about Ghislaine, who would be sort of like, oh, it's fun, we're just playing a game, we're having a good time, and Ghislaine was so cool, she just thought, well, it's okay. So she continued to see him. What happened next is that she was hired by him back in New York to be his art advisor. And she worked in-house with him, literally at his house uh, on the Upper East Side, and she would help him select paintings and other artworks to buy. She said that she never liked his taste, but she tried to push on him artists that she admired, one of which was this artist, Damien Loeb, from whom he bought a painting of a little girl's swimsuit pageant. That is, again, another one of these works that is, in hindsight, Very disturbing to think about him owning.
1: So when did things start to take a darker turn?
0: So while she was working for him, she noticed some strange things. She noticed that there were a lot of girls coming in out of the house, young girls, and that he had this upstairs area where he would... Go with these girls, and she never really knew what happened. And she said other men would come in and out of the house. Mm. She said Alan Dershowitz would come in and out of the house uh, and go to this area. It raised flags, but she never knew for sure what was going on. And then at one point, she gets a job to um, create some sets for a film, and she needs a studio, a place to work on them. They're, They're big work she needs to make. And he says, I have a friend, Leslie Wexner who has his whole estate in Ohio, you should just go out there for the summer and tab as much space as you need. And of course, Wexner is the billionaire businessman who owns Victoria's Secret, and Hmm. maybe not for long, but he and his wife, Abigail, invite Maria out. So she goes out for the summer. And while she's there, she says that Maxwell and Epstein come for a visit. And at night, they come into the room, and they both start to massage her and assault her. Hmm. And she ran out of the room and she called Eric Fischel, who he told the New York Times that he told her to get out of there. And he confirmed that this call happened. And then Maria called Eileen Guggenheim, she says. And she says that Eileen Guggenheim kind of dismissed her concerns. And Eileen Guggenheim says she doesn't remember this being a urgent Situation. And then ultimately she called her father, and her father drove up from Kentucky to pick her up. Hmm. And Maria says she filed uh, reports with the police and the FBI as a result.
1: And did anything come of it?
0: She says she never knew whether they investigated it. There are records of reports with the police and the FBI from 2005 when she made allegations again. Hmm. Later that summer, she found out that her little sister, Annie Farmer, also went out to the ranch in New Mexico. She says that her sister was told there was a school trip and Epstein was paying for students to come Hmm. out. Then when Annie got there, she was the only one there. Wow. And she was 16 at the time, and they also assaulted her in a similar fashion, according to her claim.
1: Unbelievable. So I just want to um, go back a moment because you, you mentioned that Alan Dershowitz was one of the people that she saw going into Epstein's house. And that's just extraordinary to think about because this week Dershowitz is standing on the Senate floor defending Trump in his impeachment inquiry. And I believe he was the one who was able to persuade a U.S. attorney to give Epstein a very lenient uh, plea deal that it pretty much gave him any kind of immunity from federal crimes. But now let's go back to Maria Farmer and What happened after she ran away from Epstein and cut ties with him?
0: Well, she says that they called her up after she left and threatened her. They told her not to speak out, that if she did, they would burn all the paintings she had left there in the house, Hmm. Uh, that they would destroy her career. They would go talk to influential figures in the art world and tell them never to work with her. And... She left New York and for a long time did stop painting.
1: Didn't she not only say that she thought that Epstein was threatening to destroy her career, didn't she say that Epstein did destroy her career?
0: Yeah, well, she said that she never got those paintings back. She lost that job and that um, she would get threatening phone calls from them all the time and she never returned to New York. So
1: it did destroy her career. And what is she up to now?
0: Well, she has unfortunately been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Wow. So that has also slowed her down. But she is working again. She is uh, working on a series right now, doing portraits of all of Epstein's victims. There's a Netflix series coming out about some of the victims, and she appears in that, where she discovers, during the course of the filming, these old paintings she had done right after that summer, that she was allegedly assaulted, she painted portraits of her little sister Hmm. in the wake of her little sister's own apparent assault. So they're really, really heartbreaking.
1: So Jeffrey Epstein is somebody with so many public ties to so many people who had such a visible public record. But there's this paradox where the more information you learn about him, the less clear he seems to be. He becomes even more mysterious because it doesn't add up. How do you make sense of Jeffrey Epstein and what was he doing?
0: Well, I think the, the details will be coming out for a very long time and we'll be puzzling this together for a long time. But, you know, the accounts of him personally sort of depict somebody who was deeply insecure and had a very strong need for control, extreme amounts of control in every aspect of his life down to the temperature he kept in a room the food that he ate and, and you know, he didn't drink or do drugs or anything that would put him in a state of not being in control. And there was also a sense that he really collected people. With men, he sort of collected important, you know, scientists and impressive intellectuals that he would gather to show off to other men. I mean, then with women, he did this a similar thing, but he did it with young, attractive women. He would sort of collect them and he had this need to sort of just grow and grow and grow and keep building this sort of collection of people that he could kind of trade and move around him in this disturbing way.
1: So so considering the extent of Epstein's crimes and his extraordinary ties to the world's most powerful people and institutions, why should we care in particular about his activities in the art world?
0: When we see these predators uh, target people in fields like the arts, as we often do with Harvey Weinstein targeting aspiring actresses, it shows how they exploit a vulnerability of someone's ambition, you know, to, to work in a, in a very competitive field in which there aren't clear career paths necessarily, where a lot of it is based on relationships and subjective and who, who you know, and there's no HR, you know, when you're at an art gallery, you know, chatting or at a party, you know, and that's how these business deals are made. I think we see a lot of these crimes happening in the arts for, for that reason, and so we can look at how easy it was to exploit people who really wanted to succeed in a career that's so difficult.
1: So Epstein, of course, is is dead, but Jelaine Maxwell is still around. Has she said anything? Has she spoken out about all of these accusations against her?
0: No, she's been notably silent and we don't really know where she is. She hasn't been officially accused of anything by law enforcement, as far as I know. But her lawyers have on her behalf denied the allegations that she was a participant in this sex trafficking or a participant in the assaults. But she hasn't spoken out since I think 2015 when she... She said that one of the accusers, the woman actually who was accusing Dershowitz, she said she was lying. Hmm. And that caused the woman to file a defamation suit against her. So then she never really spoke out again. Hmm. And no one seems to know where she is. She was photographed in in Los Angeles
1: once, but that's it. And what about Eileen Guggenheim? Has she had anything to say about these new revelations? I know that you spoke to her for this piece.
0: She initially told us that she had never been to Epstein's ranch. And so basically it was unclear whether she was saying Maria had been lying about that account or had misremembered or I don't know. But she she basically said that she couldn't have been there. Hmm. Then another student came forward on their own and contacted us to corroborate. Maria's account and said that it did in fact happen because she was there too. And there were other students who could corroborate the account. So then we went back to Eileen with this new information and asked her if she wanted to respond. And she said that she might've been confused about this visit, that in fact, she had been to Ms. Drepstein's property in New Mexico, huh. but that she didn't remember being at his house or having any kind of dinner with him. And she didn't remember this sexual game or any of,
1: any of those details which you would think would be fairly memorable. And what about the New York Academy of Art? Has there been any changes there in light of Epstein's, you know, being a trustee?
0: Well, Maria Farmer has come out pretty strong in, in saying that she feels the school enabled Epstein. And more specifically, Guggenheim, because she was encouraged to maintain a relationship with him because he was a donor. Guggenheim has said that she's never forced a student to make a sale or anything of the sort, but the school has said in response that they were going to create a committee to create new guidelines for the way that students relate to collectors.
1: Can we expect to see more stories of this kind? Is there more bad behavior in the art world that remains to be uncovered?
0: I'm sure. I I think it's, for all the reasons we talked about it, it's an industry that is conducive to bad behavior because there's Uh, You know, there's a lot of wealth and power, and people tend to exploit those things when they have them. Not everybody, obviously, but you know, and you have ambition on the other side, and a lot of extreme disparities in the the positions of, say, the artists and the positions of the collectors Mm -hmm. or the people in power. I think when you have these disparities of power, you're going to see more bad behavior.
1: Well, Rachel, this was really fascinating. So, thank you very much for coming on The Art Angle. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. The Art Angle is produced by Tim Schneider and Caroline Goldstein and edited by Nick Long. Thanks for listening and see you next week.